Hey, this is Nikki McCrary, lead pastor at Eastern Heights Baptist Church in Statesboro, Georgia, where we exist to be a life-changing church. So as you listen, I pray that you will be encouraged in your walk with Christ and that your life will be forever changed as you grow in your relationship with Him. Well, good morning, everybody. Well, since it's the first Sunday of the new year, I'll say it one more time. Happy New Year, all right? And then we'll be done with it. I mean, it seems like we've been having New Year for a month now, but anyway... We begin a new series today, and I'm so excited about it, and I'm probably going to trip over all this gear up here, but anyway, if I do, just laugh. It'll be funny. Um, But anyway, I'm so excited to introduce our theme for the year, One More in 24. And what we're doing is we're asking every single person to think about who's your one. Asking every family to bring another family. We're asking every teenager to bring another teenager, every child to bring another child, every family, uh, I think I said that already, to bring a family, but uh, every single adult, bring another single adult. You know, everybody has someone that you can bring. And so that's the question for this whole month is who's your one as we think about one more in 24. And so I want to welcome all of you, uh, especially those of you who are guests with us today. Uh, Out of all the great churches in our area, you've chosen to be with us. And so we do not regard that lightly. And we thank you for being here. We uh, welcome all of you watching online, uh, listening by podcast. We're glad that you've joined us. I'm also happy to announce that we took in just over $7,000 for our Lottie Moon Christmas offering. All of that goes to international missionaries doing work for Jesus all across the world. In total for 2023, we took in just over $12,000 for Southern Baptist Missions, not counting the 21 other mission organizations that we give to, probably in the neighborhood around $80,000 total for 2023. So thank you for being a generous church and being generous to the cause of Christ. And I know that God's going to do things that we'll never be able to do through other people because of that effort. Last Sunday, we gave out our general prayer guide, and we've been giving those out at the first of every year for those that want to get started on a prayer plan and and, uh, a habit of prayer with God. We believe that's one of the four major habits that every Christian ought to have. And so those are still available at the Hub if you did not pick one up last week. Today, though, we have available here on the stage at the Hub, uh, online under the resource tab. We are beginning tomorrow our 21 days of prayer. And so if you have a consistent prayer time that you're already doing, we're just asking that you incorporate this into your prayer time. But if you haven't started a a prayer time, it's not too late. It's a good New Year's resolution to begin tomorrow with 21 days of prayer. We have a guide that'll take you through 21 days. It doesn't take that long each day. But we're asking you to pray specific things for each of those days. And then on January the 28th, we'll conclude with a prayer walk around the perimeter of our church because we want to be a church that prays first, not last. And so this will help us to get into that habit of praying. Also next Sunday, we're going to have a small groups and fellowship groups ministry fair or fair, so to speak, where we're going to have available people from all of our small groups to answer any questions you might have. We're going to have a new thing that we're starting called fellowship groups because the Bible study groups focus more on Bible study and the fellowship groups focus more on the fellowship. And so whatever your need is, we've got something for everybody. And that's kind of our sub-motto around here is if you like it, we probably have it. So we hope that you'll check it out and you'll make it a priority to be a part of one of these groups uh, this year uh, if you're not already part of one. And so 
Some of those groups meet on Sunday morning, some meet on Sunday night, some of them meet at other times during the weekend. So you can find out all about all of that stuff next Sunday. CJ will be kind of gathering that up, and I appreciate y'all that lead these groups uh, sticking around for a few minutes. That'll be right after church to check that out. And then last but not least, our Discover class for membership is next Sunday at 5 o'clock. We're going to start out with a light meal, and you have the opportunity to discover what God wants to do in your life and how God can utilize you here at Eastern Heights. It's going to be an exciting time to get I know some of you have been waiting for a couple of months to get through the holidays to take this class, and it's finally going to be here next Sunday. We also have some existing members that said, you know what? I haven't been through that class in several years. I'm going to go through that. I'm going to go through that again and get a refresher on that so I can know what to tell people that are coming in the church. So if that's you, you can do that. You can sign up online. You can do it with the tear-off uh, on the back of your bulletin. Uh, you can call the church office. A lot of ways that you can sign up. We do have child care for those fifth grade and under. <clears throat> All right. Well, if you're new to Eastern Heights, you don't probably know that it is our goal to be a life-changing church, right? And so as we enter this new year, I want you to think about that. What is the event or the occasion or the situation that has gone on recently where God has changed your life. And how long ago was that? How old is your testimony? And then who was instrumental in that life-changing event? Because probably somebody, God used somebody to be a part of that, right? Because if we're going to be a life-changing church, we first of all have to have life change going on within ourselves by a relationship with Jesus Christ. Because Jesus did not come so people far from God would find him. He came to find people who are far from him and then to change their life. That's what Jesus did. So it's our core conviction that every single person needs to have this life-changing experience with God through a personal relationship with Jesus Christ where you accept him as both your Lord and your Savior, you're baptized, and you begin to follow him and begin to do the things that he calls you to do. But for this to happen, every single person must have that encounter with God because before that moment, every single person without God is lost in sin. And see, I have to say that because not everybody understands that, not everybody believes that, but without God, a person is lost in sin. And see, there are many ways to get lost, but there's only one way to be found, and that's through the message and the ministry of Jesus. And once Jesus finds you, he begs you to join in on that search and rescue mission along with him to search for people who are lost because the greatest act of love is to help someone discover a life-changing experience with Jesus. And so that's why we ask you today to find your one. Who's your one? Who is it? Have you found them? Because we believe that God has put in the path of every one of you who is a follower of Jesus Christ, someone who needs to know Jesus and someone who is lost. And faithfulness to the Jesus we know demands an unapologetic search for every lost person out there. And so we don't make any apologies about being a life-changing church where we ask people about their relationship with God. And we ask them to follow Jesus and to accept Jesus as Lord and Savior. We don't make any apologies about that. You know, we're not, we're not an oh, excuse me kind of church. Okay? Now, we don't, we don't just jump down their throat about it. But we are not apologetic in that search. Because you know what? That was Jesus' mission. It says in Luke 19.10, For the Son of Man came to seek and to save those who are lost. 
So for the month of January, we're going to talk about how to join Jesus in the mission of looking for the one who's lost. And right off the bat, we've got to clear up something because the word lost has become very uncomfortable for a lot of Christians. And so we've come up with a lot of other words for people who are far from God. And it's kind of ironic because this is the one word that Jesus uses more than any other word to describe people who are far from him. And here's why it's a big deal. It's because the word lost, it, it, it declares that something has a value, okay? You see, and I don't lose things that I don't care about. I don't lose paper clips. I ain't lost a paper clip in forever. I don't lose rubber bands. And the truth is, you know, the more I value something, the more I'll sacrifice to search for it. Matter of fact, when I was a young parent, on more than one occasion, I lost one of my kids. And don't you dare judge me, because you know you have too. <laughs> In regards to whether it was the mall or the sporting event or even at church, when that moment happens, nothing matters more than finding that lost child, right? Yeah, y'all know, because see, you've lost your children too. Jesus said, I am on mission, sent by the Father to seek his lost children. And so it was mission critical for Jesus to find the lost. And that was the reason many people were critical of Jesus and his mission. Because if you're looking for something that is lost, you'll find yourself in places where lost things are. So we're going to use Luke 15 as a platform for this series where Jesus uses the word lost a lot, all right? And it begins, it starts out like this in verse 1. Tax collectors and other notorious sinners, not just your general sinner, see? But notorious sinners often came to listen to Jesus teach. You mean people like that showed up at church? Come on. Where's our team? This made the Pharisees and teachers of religious law complain that he was associating with such sinful people. It was brought up at church council. They said they were even eating with them. Because that was a big deal, was to have a meal with folks. And that's what it actually said. That's why I went ahead and put that in there. Because see, Jesus hung out in places where you find lost things. And so he begins to tell us these stories about stuff that's lost. A sheep. He tells us about a lost coin. He tells us about a lost son. So if you're taking notes, all these kind of had the same point. That is, nothing matters more than finding someone who is lost. And that's a bold statement. I'm not going to back off of it. Nothing matters more than finding someone who's lost because eternity is at stake. And so I ask you again, who's your one? Who's your one? So what we're going to see is there's more than one way to be lost. Matter of fact, next week we're going to talk about that lost coin. Because coins don't get lost by themselves. People lose them. Or they drop them. Would you believe, I, I cannot make this up, okay? In my 13 years here at Eastern Heights Baptist Church, I have never one time, in all the many times I've been in that staff bathroom, okay, have ever found a coin laying on the floor. And this morning, what do I do? The first time I walk in there this morning, I find this dime on the staff bathroom floor. And yes, I picked it up. Because <laughs> it's mine now. Somebody maybe was just giving their tenth. I don't know. But anyway, you know, people are that way. 
Some people remain lost and are still far from God because they got dropped by somebody along the way. They just were treated badly. So they're still far from God. We're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about the rebel. That person that shakes their fist at God and says, I don't want God and I don't need God. See, that's another way to get lost. And then the last lesson, we're going to talk about the person that is far from the Father, but they never left the Father's house. You see, you can be incredibly religious and still be lost. But you know, I think most people are like sheep. Yep, they just get lost and they don't even realize they're getting lost. And that's who your one might just end up being. If you're taking notes, your one could be one who has wandered away. That's who your one could be. I'm asking you who's your one. I'm going to give you some hints as to who to think about, okay? So let's start out with this first story. It begins in 15, verse 3. So Jesus told them this story. If a man has a hundred sheep and one of them gets lost, what will he do? Won't he leave the 99 others in the wilderness and go to search for the one that is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he will joyfully carry it home on his shoulders. When he arrives, he'll call together his friends and neighbors saying, Rejoice with me because I have found my lost sheep. This was a big deal. This was their livelihood. And then look at this next verse. In the same way, there is more joy in heaven over one lost sinner who repents and returns to God than over 99 others who are righteous and haven't strayed away from the fellowship hall, from the Sunday school room, from the sanctuary, from the worship center. Now, that's not what it says, but that's what it's saying, right? There's a party in heaven over one that's saved a lot more than there are on those other occasions. Because, see, people are really good at getting lost. They really are. And the most common way it happens is they just wander away. You know somebody like that. They've made a total wreck of their life, but they didn't mean to. I mean, they didn't mean to have an affair that totally ruined their family and their marriage. They never meant to have a drinking problem. If they could see where it was going to lead them, they would have never started it, right? They didn't intend to become a workaholic and never have time for God or the church or God's people and God's things. It just happened. And now they look up and they think, how in the world did I get to someplace I never meant to be? So what do you do when you find that person that ends up in a place they never meant to be and they found themselves in a place they never thought they would wind up? What do you do? Well, you go find them. You go find them and you go friend them because you know what? That's what Jesus did. It's not complicated, folks. Jesus just made friends with sinners. So each week we're going to look at how Jesus is going to show us how to look for the lost. And in this first story we're going to look at today, it's a man who wound up in a place that he never thought he would be. And his name is the name of my oldest grandson, Levi. All right, let's look at it together. Luke 5, verse 27. Later, as Jesus left the town, he saw a tax collector named Levi sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me and be my disciple, Jesus said to him. So Levi got up, left everything, and followed him. Now, that, that's saying a whole lot right there. We don't have time to even unpack all that right there. Verse 29. Later, Levi held a banquet in his home with Jesus as the guest of honor. This is a big deal, folks. Many of Levi's fellow tax collectors and other guests also ate with them because, I mean, who else was he going to invite? 
But the Pharisees and the teachers of religious law held a church council meeting again, complained bitterly to Jesus' disciples, who did you eat and drink? Uh, why do you eat and drink with such scum? They asked this to the disciples, but Jesus is one that gave the answer. Jesus answered them, verse 31, said, healthy people don't need a doctor. Sick people do. I have come to call not those who think they are righteous, but those who know they are sinners and need to repent. Now, Jesus went to a lot of parties, right? And it seems like every time Jesus went to a party, poopers were there, all right? And in this instance, the poopers that were there, they couldn't understand why Jesus was so good, why he was hanging out with bad people. They just didn't get it. And see, they, they had lost sight of God's affection for lost people. And I think many Christians have as well. I've actually had people tell me the reason I don't look for lost people, the reason I don't run around wondering about who's my one is I don't like to hang out with sinners. I just don't like them. And I think that's where more of us are than we would like to admit. I know I like to be around people I like, not around people who don't have anything in common with me, right? But you're a pastor. I know. I'm a human pastor. <laughs> now, back at the church I served in Alabama when I was still able to eat white flour and white sugar, I would go into the Winn-Dixie at least once a week and I would get a dozen glazed donuts because it was a small town. We didn't have a Dunkin' Donuts or Krispy Kreme or anything like that. I'd be dead by now if we did. But I'd go into Winn-Dixie. They had the best fresh glazed donuts. I'd get a dozen of them, take them to church office every week. I'd eat about half of them. Everybody else would nibble on the rest of them, you know. Well, when I was going there, I, I met the, the store manager. His name was Ken. And he liked to play golf and I liked to play golf. So we ended up kind of becoming friends and playing golf together. And he'd hit a bad shot. Man, I mean, he'd let off a string of words about that long, you know. And he didn't look around and he said, oh, I'm sorry, preacher. I'd hit a bad shot and I'd say, well, darn. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I got some land to sell you somewhere too. All right. Anyway, a few weeks into our friendship, you know, I, I did what all preachers do. I said, Ken, I'd like for you and your family to come visit our church sometime. And he politely declined. Next time I went out, I asked him again. He politely declined again. Well, after a while, you know what happened? Same thing happens to you. He quit going golfing as much anymore. And so I'd still see him at the store getting those donuts and I'd still say, you know, hey, Ken, let's, let's go play golf. Yeah, we're going to do that soon. We're going to do that. It never happened. So finally one day I just went by his house, which was an old dumpy-looking trailer in a not-so-good part of town. And I knocked on the door, and his wife answered the door, and then she reluctantly invited me in because that's what you did 30 years ago. That's about when this was, okay? And they were both totally embarrassed beyond anything I could describe because there were beer cans everywhere, whiskey bottles. It reeked of marijuana smoke. Their two little boys, about six and four, they, um, they were filthy dirty. So I just kind of quickly said, you know, hey, I came by to see if you wanted to play golf tomorrow, and if you can't play tomorrow, I'm going to come by again tomorrow to see if you want to play the next day. So at this point, he's ready to get rid of me. You know, he said, I'll play golf tomorrow. So we did. We went out and played golf. And um, we were a couple of holes in, I guess, and finally he said, 
Nikki, I just got to ask you something. He said, I don't understand why, after seeing what you saw yesterday and the way that I live when I'm not at Winn-Dixie, he said, I don't understand why you'd even want to play golf with me. As a matter of fact, that's why I don't want to come to your church. He says, I'm embarrassed to be in church. He said, because I like to drink and I like to smoke weed and I know I've got to give all that up to come to church. And I said, well, Ken... I said, you don't have to quit all that to be my friend. And I'd be honored to have my friend come visit church with me. And so you know what? A few weeks later, Ken and his family showed up at church, and I was surprised, and I think they were too. And a few weeks after that, he confessed Jesus as his Savior, and he was baptized. He wanted everybody to publicly know, I've, I've, I've made a change. Jesus changed my life. A few weeks later, his wife accepted Christ, was baptized. Not too long after that, the boys accepted Christ. They were baptized. Well, about a year and a half into all of this, he quit Winn-Dixie, which I was very disappointed about because I lost my discount on the donuts. <laughs> but he quit Winn-Dixie to become a pastor of a little church down the road from where he had found Jesus at the bigger church. Not too long after that, he resigned that church and ended up at seminary at Southwestern Seminary. Graduated with his degree from seminary. Ken has spent the last three decades in Africa leading thousands upon thousands of people to Christ and a few bushes and trees because he will witness to a rock. I mean, Jesus so changed his life, I felt ashamed after he got saved. I thought, man, I need to be more like Ken. Ken says, no, you just need to be more like Jesus. I said, well, I'm working on it, brother. But you know what? I learned a very important lesson through all that. I'm not going to find many people who need Jesus if I'm not going to be a friend to people who need Jesus. So I'm not bragging on me this morning what I did. I'm bragging on what Jesus did because I'm telling you, only Jesus could have changed his life the way he did. And in talking to CJ lately about reaching the lost, he's reminded me by his own lifestyle that I've got to get back to liking people that are nothing like me because I've kind of gotten away from it over the years. Maybe you have too. So let's learn what Jesus teaches about becoming friends with people who are far from God. And I'll get through this pretty quick. First of all, we need to see patience, not problems. You need to see patience, not problems. You ever notice Jesus seemed to attract people that had a lot of pre-existing conditions with them, right? And that's because he saw people with problems. He didn't see people as problems. He saw them as helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. And so he, he saw their helplessness more than he saw their sinfulness. And that's where we need to get back to, folks. That's what he focused on, was their helplessness. See, if you find a sheep, you don't take a stick and whop it upside the head and say, what the heck are you doing getting lost? Get back over here. That's not what you do. You don't find somebody who's sick and then just chew them out for being sick, even if some of their choices led them to that sickness or whatever. You just don't do that. See, here's the thing. Most sick people don't want to be where they are. And most lost people don't either, even though they might... Not admit it. See, Levi didn't have the goal of his life to become the most hated person in town. But he found himself in a place he never wanted to be. So how did he get there? Because there's a story behind it. 
I mean, was he an orphan? So he had to take that job on. Did, did he have a lot of medical bills and had children that had problems and he just couldn't pay, so he had to take on the tax collection job? Did he have a personal disability himself that he couldn't take on a regular paying job? He had to take on the tax collector job. I mean, what was the story? Because there's a story behind that. We don't, we don't get to see what that is, but there is one. Because nobody wants to be the most hated person in town doing the, the, the most terrible job there is. But see, every patient has a story. When you learn what it is, you're more patient with that person, right? You see, people far from God drew close to Jesus because they sensed Jesus liked them. Because what Jesus did, he didn't just tolerate them, he valued them. So I'm not talking about find somebody that you can tolerate. I'm, finding some, I'm asking to find your one who has value. Because Jesus never one time said to somebody, you know what, you got yourself into this mess, you can get yourself out of it. That's not what Jesus did. Jesus said, you know, I'm a doctor, and I'll walk you out of this if you're ready to leave where you're at. You've got to be willing to leave. And that's the second thing Jesus teaches about being a friend. You've got to stay near not far. When you think of all the metaphors Jesus used to call us on this mission, they all have basically the same idea. Like when he talked to the fishermen and he called them to be his disciples, he said, I want y'all to come be fishers of men because he knew that fishermen would understand you don't just sit at home and wait on the fish to come knock your door down. You have to go where the fish are, right? And when a sheep gets lost, you don't just lay around on the couch watching whatever and hope that the sheep just shows back up one day no you leave the comforts of everything and all the other 99 that are at home and you go out in the wilderness where that problem where that sheep's probably going to be and then you bring it back home you see the church you know this the church did not call the lost uh, god did not call the church god did not call the lost to go to church y'all know this all right God called the church to go find the lost. And you've heard it so much, it goes in in one ear and out the other. Because I'm telling you this morning, if you're sitting there thinking, who's my one, and you, you, you're not getting anybody to come to mind, then you're not being the church God's called us to be. You can't find something that's not missing, I think. Isn't that right? I don't know, I just made that up. But you're never going to go after someone that's not on your heart and mind. And I, I know I've got to use a little word of caution here because I know there, I used to teach t those teenagers all the time. There's that verse in the Bible that says, bad company corrupts good morals, and it does. And I know there's that verse in there that, you know, blessed is the man that doesn't walk in the way of sinners and sit in the seat of scoffers. I know those verses, okay? And I know that we have to be conscious of a person's particular area of weakness. I've always told the teenagers, you know, if you're on a diet, don't hang out in the kitchen. All right? And so if you deal with alcoholism, it's probably not a good idea to take your friends out to drink with, for drinks to try to tell them about Jesus. It's not a good idea. You know? And I know, again, when kids are young, they're growing up, their faith is trying to mature, so friends are a big deal. Friends are the number one influential factor in a teenager's life. It's not their parents, and it's not Jesus yet. It's friends. So friends are important. You need to pick the right friends because it's going to matter 
what you do and what you end up, the road you, that you're going down, because you're not ready to handle negative peer pressure yet. I know all of that. But I also know that Jesus didn't believe that separation from sin meant total isolation from sinners. That's not what he meant. What kind of doctor avoids going to a hospital because there's sick people there? I mean, didn't we applaud all of our medical professionals during the pandemic when they went and put on their gowns and their masks and they went into where the most contagious people were to bring them health and healing? Because that's where a doctor and a nurse and a medical person belongs, right? Maybe we need to stop using the word seekers for lost people because God has called us as his church and his Christians to be the ones that are seeking out the lost. We're the seekers. That's right. Christians need to be everywhere that people who are far from God are. We need to be in the schools. We need to be in law enforcement. We need to be in government. We need to be in all the noble positions. See, I don't know if you realize this or not, but I believe this with all my heart. Levi would have never come after Jesus if Jesus hasn't come after Levi first. Because he was hated, and he believed Jesus even hated him. He didn't believe anybody liked him. He'd have never sought out Jesus. And we need to be people, and we need to go to where people are who are far from God and don't know who Jesus is. And here's why. Because every now and then, someone who is in a place that they never thought that they would find themselves, they decide, I don't want to be here anymore. And they've got to call somebody. And that somebody needs to be you. You want to be that friend who gets the first call when somebody decides, you know, hey, I don't want to be here anymore. Now, what do I do? And when you get that call, here's what you do. It's the third and final thing. You say, start, not stop. You say start, not stop, and I'm almost through. You say, I didn't tell Ken, hey, you need to stop all that drinking and smoking weed and all that kind of stuff. What I did tell him is you need to start following Jesus. And here's the way you need to do that. See, Jesus called the absolute worst version of Levi that he could have called. He, he didn't call the cleaned up version. He didn't, he didn't call the far from God. You know, he, he called the worst thing. He didn't say, you know, Levi, I'm so disappointed in you. Matter of fact, I'm going to put you on probation. I'm going to give you a month. I'm going to come back through here. And if you're up to snuff on everything, then you can join Team Jesus Army and we'll go conquer the world. That's not what he said. He just walked right up to Levi and said, hey, come follow me. You know, Levi looked around with, well, you know what? It can't get any worse. And so he left everything and followed Jesus. You see, the good news today, don't miss this, folks. The good news is the I am does as is. And I'm glad when I was 13 years old, Jesus just took me as is. Y'all know what I'm talking about. The thrift rack, you know, says as is, because you know when you find that article of clothing, it's going to have a stain on it. It's going to have a little hole in it somewhere. And I know they charge extra for the holes now. But anyway, y'all know what I'm talking about. That house, you know, you're looking at buying, and it says as is. You know it's going to have a floor missing somewhere in one of the rooms, right? You know what as is means. See, God does as is, and that's why his church is full of people who belong on the as is rack, like you and I. Because we have flaws everywhere. We're all sin sick, right? Matter of fact, I want you to turn to the person next to you and say, I'm sicker than you are. Do it right now. Go ahead. I'm sicker than you are. All right? That's, that's a good thing, right? And look, if I, I'm aware the church has hypocrites, because I know there are people that are sick, but they're so vain and they're so proud 
that they won't admit that they're sick. And you know what? Their heart is so far from God and they're so rebellious that they, don't just, they, they just don't care. They're still at church, but they don't care what kind of witness they're putting out to the rest of the world. They just don't. But you know what? The truth is most people in church that are sick are letting Jesus help them get better. I like it that way. Don't you? Most people in church that are sick are letting Jesus help them get a little bit better week after week. You know why? Because they've started following doctor's orders. And when you follow the doctor's orders, you, you learn, I don't have to stay sick. I don't have to stay in a place that I've ended up where I never meant to be to start with. I can actually go to a new place. I can have a life-changing experience and I can get well. So here's our takeaway today. Who's your one? Because someone's eternity is depending on you. Now let that settle for a moment. Someone's eternity is depending not on the person sitting next to you or in front of you or behind you. It's not depending on me. It's depending on you. Who's your one? If a man owns a hundred sheep and one of them wanders away, will he not leave the 99 on the hills and go to look for the one that wandered away? Would you pray with me? Heads are bowed and eyes are closed because it's decision time. And some of you here this morning, you need to bow your head right now and you need to thank God for finding you when you were lost and far from him. You need to thank him for finding you when you were in a place where you never thought you would be and you never meant to be, and he found you nonetheless. And then I want you to think about that someone that God probably used to facilitate all of that. So some of you need to pray right now a prayer of thanksgiving for those things and those people. Would you do that? And then some of you need to ask God for the wisdom and the courage to be a friend to someone in your path that is lost. Would you pray for God to show you that person and to pray to give you the courage and strength to be that kind of friend today? And then last but not least, some of you need to pray a prayer where you just admit that you're sin sick and that you're lost. You've never asked Christ to do any kind of life change in your life. You've never considered that really. Never thought he could or would. But today is the day that Jesus has found you. Would you be willing to do as Levi did and just leave everything, just drop it completely and turn your life over and give it to Jesus? Would you ask him into your heart right now? So Father, you alone are the one who can rescue and save, lift us out of the grave, lift us out of the sin pit. You came down to find us and here we are. Father, thank you for doing that. To you alone belongs the highest praise as we sang about today and what a great moment that's going to be when we get to see you and the angels are singing all around and it's gonna be glorious but there are going to be some, 
someone will not be there because they're going to spend eternity in hell. Father, may you put on our hearts someone that we can reach out to. One more in 24. It's in the name of Jesus we ask. All God's people in agreement said, Amen. Let's stand, let's worship together. We hope you were encouraged by this message today. If you would like more details on our church, please visit us at ehbcstatesboro.org.